As many of you know, um, this week, Wednesday morning actually, uh, I and John Scudieri from our church will be leaving uh, on the first phase of um, a a long um, one-month teaching assignment in Rwanda. Uh, We have several pieces that will be a part of that project, but I leave on Wednesday morning and I'll I'll be back on Monday, the 14th of March. We arrive back in town. So I'll be gone for almost five weeks, a little, not quite five full weeks. And, um, and I'll be over there uh, participating with some other pastors who will be joining me from time to time, teaching 56 Rwandan pastors. We're going to try to cover the entire New Testament in four weeks. Now, what you really need to hear is that's, enti- that's covering the entire New Testament in two weeks because we have to do it all through a translator. You know, so it, it cuts, cuts your time in half as we go through. And, and um, as well, uh, Lisa and Aubin will be coming over, assisted by Christina, and they're going to be teaching some new life-saving skills to the midwives of Rwanda. Virtually all children in Rwanda are born at home with the assistance of a wid- midwife who really, their training for the most part is just what's been passed down from generation to generation. There has not been any formal or technical training that they've received as a part of that. And so we certainly cover your prayers, and we're going to have a chance here at the end of our service to commission our team today as we get ready to leave. And, you know, um, a little over a week ago, a reporter came to my office. It was a, a retired reporter. She, She's a uh, a member of a congregation in our region where um, their pastor is going to come over and join me for one of the weeks of teaching. And so she wanted to write up an article that she could offer to maybe one of the papers around here for to, 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 to carry. And so she came into my office and she was fascinated by just a lot of things that, that were happening, things that we were planning on doing, things that we had done in the past in our relationship with them and with Rwanda, with the whole... Um, Microseed loans and all those kinds of things that we've done over the years, and and um, at the very end, she asked me the question. She said, "Well, well, why are you going?" You know, and it's a, it's a very profound question. Sometimes we we lose that, don't we? You know, we we get it caught up. You know, there, there were a lot of things. Some of it is the sense of adventure. My wife would tell you that I, I like adventure. I like challenges. I like those kinds of things. And my uh, my oldest son last night said, "Hey, Dad, for my graduation from college, let's go skydiving." I said, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." You know that kind of idea. You know, so there's that aspect to it. You, you know, the sense of adventure of going off to Rwanda and staying there for four weeks and, and or more and all that kind of good stuff. And then, you know, some of it too was just the the opportunity. You know, you think of 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 a, a nation like Rwanda that experienced literally probably the worst horror that you could with literally hundreds of thousands of people losing their lives over a three to four month period back in 1994 as genocide set in across their nation. And here they are now, even just 16 years, 17 years removed, they're continuing to try to rebuild that nation and rebuild the, the social culture, if you will, the way they relate to one another. And what better instrument to do that than the church? You know, the representative of God in the world. And yet you have these pastors who love God but have just such limited access to the fruit of spiritual knowledge that's been passed down through the generations. And so just the opportunity to be able to influence and be a part of that. It's just a great thing. You've got all these kinds of things that, that kind of pop into your mind as you're, you're thinking about that. The, the sense of enjoyment that you'll have while you're there. The need, the opportunity of the Rwandans and... Yet, when you really back it up, it, it, it really gets down to the simple reality that Jesus is all that matters. Now, now try to grasp that for your own life. When, when you think about all the things that you're trying to do with your children and with your church and your career and your families and just your life legacy and all that stuff, to, 
the two things that it absolutely has to be built on, the reality is that God loves us in our faith in God. Those two things are the foundation of everything that matters. And, and, and I, w- I want to share with you kind of like my last Sunday now for five weeks, and I'm glad we just had some wonderful folks who are going to be proclaiming to you over these next weeks, and folks from our own body and some from outside, and I think you'll have just a tremendous experience here. You're one of the fortunate churches, I think, that when your pastor goes away, you get better preaching than, than when he's here. So, so you should certainly plan on being here. And, you know, I have a friend of mine, you know he's he's supposed to be on sabbatical and he and he and he's going to be preaching every single Sunday through his sabbatical because they're the church is worried that the attendance will go down and then they won't be able to have enough offering to keep the church offering operating and and I, I don't think we're going to have any of those kinds of problems while I'm gone I think there's probably more people going to show up so I'm I'm encouraged by all of that but you know when you really boil it down you know when you look at your own life. When you look at the life of the people who sit next to you, the people who are in the houses next door to you, the people you care about that are a part of your extended family, the people you're trying to reach out to, when you, when you simplify life, it simply boils down to the reality of God's love for them and their belief in God. Those are the things that really matter. When you think about your own life, and whether your life matters, whether it's going to last for eternity, what, what your future destination is going to be about, it's, it's all about God's love for you and your belief in Him. I want to point you to a verse today. It's one that's very common to all of us. One that I've preached on numerous times over my, my years here at, at Hope Chapel. And it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to read that verse for you in context in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 3. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, our text today is on page 902. I'm sorry, 902. I have to admit, I I can't help but look at John this morning and say, okay, that's Friday of the first week. You know, I got to get to the Gospel of John by Friday of the first week while we're over in Rwanda. So there'll be a lot to teach as we go along. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 for you together in context, because this is an incredible experience. And, and in the midst of that, whether Jesus spoke these words or whether it's God prompting the Apostle John to summarize them in those terminologies, he takes everything that's, that's possible in our lives and, and boils it down to the fact that everything in our lives is built on the foundation, the two foundations of God's love for us and our belief in God. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This guy was spirit, was religiously successful, okay? He was a, spirit, a religious leader in the community, and it has led him to a position of influence and prominence, both, both in the religious community and in the secular community. He was well off. But there was something eaten at this guy. So this man came to Jesus, came to him at night, didn't want anybody else to know it, and said, Rabbi... We know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. So Jesus replied, well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. You know, what can I do for you? Jesus cuts right to the matter. He says, I assure you, unless someone is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, you know, one question that matters here tonight. That's whether or not you have an eternal relationship with the one who is in charge of the kingdom. That's all that matters. Nicodemus responds in verse 4, But how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And verse 4 is really said, Can a person really start 
over with God. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water, that's physical birth, and the spirit, that's the spirit of being spiritually reborn, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. It says, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. It may not be easy to understand. You may not necessarily see how it works Understand the power beneath it, but you know like the wind it can do, even though you can't explain the wings. wind. Verse 9, how can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel? You don't know these things. says, you're, you're somebody supposed to lead people to God and you don't know these things? says, I assure you, we, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you things about, about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you things about heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. This is an imagery to one of the, the um, acts of discipline that God brought upon the Israelites while they were traveling through the desert um, after leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land. They inflicted, inflicted poisonous snakes upon them. And as a part of their, their recovering from that, as they got bit, you know, they could run to the center of the camp and they put an image of the snake up on a pole. And if they looked at it, it was like an acted out prayer. They were crying out to God for deliverance. In the same way, the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross. And if we look to Him, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. And now our focal verse. For, the, for God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not judged, but anyone who does not believe is judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For anyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to talk about these two pillars for just a minute in our service this morning. The significance of these foundations that our lives ought to be built on. It ought to be the foundation of our proclamation. It ought to be the, the, the heart of what we want to share with those who are important to us. It ought to be the heart of the way we live our lives. It, these two foundations of the love of God and our faith in him. And first of all, I want to talk about the nature of this love. You know, it says here, for God loved the world. Now, there's a lot of words for love, aren't there? I mean, we use the word love, but we mean different things by it. The way I love mint chocolate chip ice cream is just a little different than the way that I love my wife or my kids. You know, the way we love the Patriots and grieve when they lose in the playoffs is a whole lot different than the way we love God or love our families, etc. You know, and in our language, we have a hard time using different words than that. We just kind of understand it in context, but in the language that the New Testament was written in, they had multiple words for love. One of those was the word eros. We get the word erotic love. It's the kind of love that takes. We have the word phileo, which we get like brotherly love, like Philadelphia. That word is, it's, it's a give and take kind of love. And then there's this unique word that the New Testament reaches out and grabs and invests with its own meaning in the Greek language. It's the word agape. And it's a special kind of love. It's a divine love. It's a love 
that gives based upon who the lover is, not the object that's loved. I've used lots of examples over the years to try to illustrate that. You know, one of my favorite ones and one that always speaks to me is the attachment that children can develop to things, you know. One of our children had an attachment to a a stuffed bear that we called Fluffy. And there were some times in the life of Fluffy when Fluffy was just downright gross. You know what I mean? You know, the kid drags it everywhere they go. They wipe their nose with it. They do everything with it. You know, it's, and it's tattered and it's ripped apart and it smells bad. And you wash it and all the stuffing comes out and you try to put stuff in there. And it was just disgusting. You've seen kids with blankets that way, haven't you? You know, they got holes in them and they're dirty and they're faded, whatever. Is there anything lovable about that blanket or that Fluffy? Uh-uh. But there's something in the kid that just has this attachment to it. That's the way God loves us. He just has an attachment to His creation, to you and I. And and here's how the love is described to us. This attachment, it's intense. This little word, for God so loved the world. it's, It's not just some kind of like flickering candle, some light feeling, but it's a blazing sun is the way that God loves us. It's not a slow drip, but it's a rushing river in a bottomless ocean. It's God so loved us. But beyond its intensity, it's also a sacrificial love. A love that's willing to give up His only Son. It's a unique love. Because He's willing to give that which is... He's willing to give the only one that He has. It's also a personal love. It's God Himself who does the loving. It's not some idea of God. It's not some, you know, some agent of God. It, whatever. It's God Himself, the maker of the universe, the unique being, the supreme being, the personal God. He is in love with you. And He screamed it as loud as He can in the gift of His Son who died on the cross. Now, all of that leads to some wonderful theology about atonement and, and substitutionary atonement and, and forgiveness and all those kinds of things. And but it's all rooted, it's all built on the fact that God loves, and He loves us. See, the object of God's love is it's stated here in John 3.16 as the world. Now, that's a physical place, but it's also a description of, of all of humanity, whether they're aligned with God or not aligned with God. God is in love with all of us, whether we are His children by faith or whether we are still struggling to figure out and to give our lives to Christ in faith. God loves the world. He loves, you know, while we were yet enemies, he says in Romans 5, Christ died for us. God loves all of his creation. It is the foundation. You know, and, and, you know, when you just stop and you think about that and you apply it to your life circumstances, that's an incredible message, isn't it? Let me just use a little example. My frustrations about not being able to get the car out of the driveway in the morning, right? And, you know, and I'll hear it from my wife this afternoon. I told you, you know, I say, yeah, you know. And then you think about somebody like Pastor Dimitri. puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you think about the things that you're struggling with right now in your life, the things that you're unhappy with, the things that you wish that you could change, and you think about God's love for you, that He's get, it just transforms. It's the foundation upon which we need to build. I'm amazed at the way that God can love us. You know, it, it, is, it, it is an interesting philosophical thing. How can God be equally in love with 6.6 plus billion people on the planet of the earth. It's an amazing thing. But the more people there are, God still loves us with the exact same level of intensity. You could ask one of the, any one of these mothers in this room this morning has more than one child. Did their love for the first child go down when the second one was born? The answer is no. In the same way, God continues to love us intensely. But built alongside of that foundation of God's love is this other 
pillar, this other foundation of the importance of belief, our belief in God. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, the other thing that our lives ought to just ought to revolve around all the time is our faith in God. You know, that faith, as you look at it in the Scriptures, you know, we... We believe in a lot of things, you know. We, you know, we invest in companies because we think believe that they're going to make us a lot of money. That's not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about trust in the sense of investing who you are, your very being to God. It's a, it's a mental choice. It involves certain facts of the faith, but it's a volitional belief as well. It's something that we have to choose to do. One of the things that always makes me uneasy when I'm talking to somebody is they say, well, I've always believed in God. And, 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 and that's not the kind of faith that the Scripture talks about. It's a volitional choice. It's one when we, we have a moment where we say, I'm going to believe in God starting now and I'm going to keep doing it forward. It's a volitional choice that whosoever believes that indicates that sense of choice. It's also an emotional knowledge or belief in truth because it leads to a loving relationship with God. It's interesting that there are many people who would claim that they believe in God. They might even say that they believe in Christ and yet they sense no relationship at all with God. Sometimes, maybe even some of us who are sitting here this morning, we feel like we're just, we're just kind of going through the motions. And when we pick up our Bibles and we read it, we feel like we're just kind of going through the motions. We never sense any relationship with God. That's not the kind of faith that the Scripture is talking about. It's an emotional faith. It's one that leads to a loving relationship with God. And the object of that faith is very specific. Believes in Him. You know, we, leave, we live in a time, a generation, where the vast majority of our culture is trying to tell us that we, that, you know, we, we, you know, we, need, to, we need to be tolerant. You know? and, 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 and I believe, I believe we need to show every single fir- person on the place of the planet respect. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that every claim to truth is equal. And Jesus says that this belief is very specific. It's particular. It's a belief in Him. It's a belief in the God who sent His Son Jesus to be the the sacrifice for us. It's a belief in Christ as the only Son of God. And He goes on to describe in our passage this morning that, you know, if you don't believe in the Son of God, you're judged already. It's very particular and very specific. And the result of that belief that we will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I, the idea of perish there, you know, is, is a very strong term. I, I, I don't have the time to go into it in, in the kinds of depth that we want to today, but we might need to today. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a terminology there where, where folks are on a pathway, where their destination is going to be, where they're, they're in a place where there is absolutely not one molecule of goodness. Because hell is the place where there's the absolute absence of God. Now, that's hard to match with the fact that God's everywhere, you know. But it's that place where God is totally absent. And that means, since God is the source of all that's good, all goodness is going to be removed. There, there is absolutely no way for any joy, any happiness, any sense of relationship, any pleasure to take place in the place where we arrive when we perish. But God asks, asks and offers to us everlasting life. You know, again, the transforming value, just understanding that, you know, that your belief in Jesus Christ means that not only has eternity already started in your life, but you know when you, where you're going for eternity, and, and that should transform everything. You know, that's why, you know, we, we study the, the first part of First Peter on, on, on Friday night, and he said, you know, he starts off by saying, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get your eyes fixated on it and never look away from it because eternity ought to change the way you live every single moment of your life. 
And I use the illustration on Friday night. Christina and I watched this kind of weird, old, weird uh, uh, Western kind of show, the movie the other night called Shechem Falls, right? No, Seraphim Falls with Pierce Brosnan and Liam Nielsen, I think, were the two guys who were in it. And at the very end scene, they've been, one's been chasing the other one through the whole movie, and they finally are having this big fight out in the midst of the desert, you know? And, and they decide to kind of give up the battle at the end, and, and, and they're walking like this, and they start to part. And there's just miles and miles and miles of desert, but on the backside out there are these, this wonderful, gorgeous mountain range. And you can't help, it, it, when you look around, and, and I've been in some places, here, when you look, no matter what you look at, it's always impacted by the mountain range that's in the background. Like I said, that's the way you're supposed to live your life, you know? The problems that you're having at home, or your problems you're having with your health, the problems you're having with your, at work, the, in your relationship, all of that stuff should be seen against the backdrop of the fact that God has given you, because of your faith in Christ, eternal life. The factor on whether or not these foundations of the love of God and our faith in God. The thing that determines their impact on our lives are you and I. We're the whosoever. It's our choice. It's the choice of our neighbors. What choices are you making today? What choices am I making today? You see that so that everyone, I love the word, so that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Are you one of the whosoever's today? Are you confident that you've made that choice? And if you have, are those realities the foundations that you can see are most active in your life today? Because they should be. Because all of reality, all of our faith, all of reality rests on these fundamental truths of God's love for us and the impact of our faith in God. And so in the name of Christ today, I invite you to believe Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. God, I'm grateful for just a reminder to me of why it is that we go, why it is that we show up here every week seeking to nurture our faith and grow our understanding of your love for us, why it is, Father, that we try to be the people we are out in our neighborhoods, being agents of grace, being the people who embrace that ministry of reconciliation that you've given to us. God, it's reasons why we climb on planes and fly halfway around the world to cultures that we don't completely understand. And we stand in that midst and we say, God, use us somehow. Because we know that you love the world and us is a part of it. And that the thing that can change our lives, the only thing that can really change our lives, both now and forever, is our faith in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for making that crystal clear to us in a simple, marvelous verse like John 3.16. Father, I pray today in these moments, we're going to stand and sing a song in just a moment. We're going to give our offerings. Father, I pray that all of us would make the choice today to establish to renew, to extend our faith in you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing a final song? And as we sing, our ushers can come.